Okay, 1 Peter 1, 1 to 16. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you though, through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. On September the 14th, in 258 A.D., A man called Cyprian, who was a bishop in the early church, was put to death by the sword. It's September the 14th today. At his trial uh, and his sentence, his last recorded words were, Thanks be to God. He was ready to meet the Lord. Such died one of the martyrs. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never noticed as many complaints and difficulties towards Christians in the last couple of years as there have been uh, in in recent times as there have been in the last few years. It really won't be long before someone goes to prison for what they say in defense of this book and in defense of our Lord. I think it's coming. It's interesting that Peter wrote these words to the Christians scattered abroad who were facing difficulties and more than once in his epistle he refers to a fiery trial difficulties that are going to come they've been in the past Christians have given their lives in the past and it may be that in the future they're going to be giving their lives again and who knows whether someone here is going to uh, not resist unto blood they're going to shed their blood for the sake of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter reminds and writes in order to equip the Christians of his day with that mindset to be able to persevere. Now, I don't know about you, 
But when you think about martyrdom, or when you think about uh, pain, if you're a coward like me, what do you imagine if you were put in that position? If you were taken to prison, or if you were taken to torture? How would you be thinking? Would it not be like this? You'd ask yourself, will I be able to make it? Will I be able to make it? And Peter writes, in order to equip his uh, Christian friends and his Christian congregation with the power to persevere. We're going to look at uh, three ways, four ways, in which he, three ways in which he can help us facing those trials as we go through uh, this chapter. So if we could have the first point there for us to be on that slide. Remember who you are. When facing trials, when facing difficulties, you've got to remember who you are. And the very first word after Peter introduces himself as an apostle. By the way, an apostle, one who had seen the Lord Jesus Christ, one who had seen the risen Christ. Remember that Peter is one who had actually entered the empty tomb. Peter was one who had actually seen the Lord's sufferings, an eyewitness, seen all the miracles. We have his words before us today. Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers or to the pilgrims scattered throughout all these places, which is now Asia Minor. What is he saying? He's reminding his hearers that, first of all, they are pilgrims. They are en route somewhere else. As the chorus says, this world is not my home. I am just passing through. My treasure is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. We're not to live as if we're fixtures here. A book that every Christian should read. Have you read it? Pilgrim's Progress. Have you read it recently? It's good to get back to that one. It's got lots to say to us as Christians. And John Bunyan had it right. We're not to live as fixtures in this world. We're passing through. We're to keep a light grip on these things. We are to be pilgrims. And, uh, you know, this year they've made Liverpool the capital of culture. That was a great surprise to many of us uh, in, uh, in, in Liverpool. But it's true. Uh, but, you know, wherever you live, wherever you're from, you may not come from the capital of culture, but, you know, our home is up there, isn't it? We are on the way to a different and a better place. We need a pilgrim mindset. We need to be those who realise that our home is in heaven. The next word that Peter uses to describe the Christian, he said, remember what you are. Facing trials, you're a pilgrim. The second word he uses is this one, elect, chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now remember why Peter was writing, not for controversy, but for comfort. These are believers going to face hard times. And he says, remember this. God has chosen you. He set his love upon you. Pilgrim again, in the pilgrim's progress, as he came up to the narrow gate, the wicked gate, he saw over the top, whosoever will may come. And he went through the gate. And he was saved. And as he looked behind him, are the words, the words over the doorway said, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Both of these things, friends, are true. They're not given for us to fight over. 
They're given for us to comfort. We go into the world and we say, whosoever will may come. Come. We urge people. We hurry them. We persuade them. We plead with them. Will you, will you trust in Christ and be saved? And for those who are saved, and perhaps for those who are facing difficult times, we say, don't worry. God has got it in, under control. You've been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Both are true. And as Werner, our, one of our founders, said, election, the rock on which we stand, not the door by which we enter. Two problems with the teaching. One, we can deny it, and that's not fair because it's written here in black and white. And two, we can overemphasize it so we don't mention anything else, and that's not correct because there's other great things that we must be up and doing. This teaching was given to comfort me in my trials, not to rock me to sleep or comfort me in my armchair. We need to be those who are up and doing for the Lord, and this teaching shouldn't prevent us from doing that. Pilgrims and elect. Peter then reminds his, his hearers that they are sanctified. He says, you've been sanctified by God the Holy Spirit. Sanctified means set apart. There is a teaching, and it's fading from parts of the church in our 21st century, separation. You and I are called to be different from the world. We're called to be sanctified. The vessels in the temple were set apart for the use of holy things. The priests would use them. He says, we've got to be like that. We've got to be ready to be set up. We're set apart, ready for the Master's Use. And of course, Wesley's here has reminded us of the operating theatre more than once. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, inside the, one of those places, or even been inside one of those places, the thing that impresses you is how clean they all strive to be. How clean those instruments have to be before they're used in an operation. And you know, we've got to be those set apart, clean, if we want to be used for the things of God and Peter reminds his hearers, you're strangers, you're pilgrims, you're chosen, you've been sanctified, set apart by the Holy Spirit. The Christian can lead a holy life because he's been given God's own Spirit to live within him. Sanctified by the Spirit to obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. A mark of the Christian, friends, is obedience. Let me ask you a question. Does obedience characterise your life? Does it characterise mine? Does it really? Are we those who are obedient? You know the times when you read through the scriptures, the number of times it emphasises how the blessings come into our lives as, as we're obedient. As the saying goes, it's not rocket science. We've just got to obey what the Bible says and God blesses us and God does the rest. Are you obedient in your walk with him? We'll be sanctified by the Holy Spirit that we might be obedient in his service. And it says there, sprinkled, sprinkled with the blood. Remember that when the blood was shed, that was for God. God had to see blood in order to forgive sin. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. But then the blood was applied and it was sprinkled upon the believers and they were cleansed from their sin. We must never forget what it cost the, the, the God the Father to see God the Son put
put there on the cross. What it costs to save you and to save me is the blood of God's own Son. In that verse, we have our God mentioned. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Do you know, we had a talk earlier this year, it stuck in my mind, this illustration, at the MV Day in February. And uh, I had a talk from the minister there, and he said these words. He said, he's a rugby fan, and he likes to see the, the rugby, and he says this. He said, I hesitate, he said, to do this illustration. He said, but when you see a scrum, and you see the big men come together, and they connect, he said, and they push, and they go to push that other, those fellas, other backwards and forwards, as it were. He says, when you see that rugby scrum, he said, those fellas combine together with all their force to do that. And he said, I hesitate to use this illustration, he said. But if I can, he said, in our salvation is involved not one, not two, but the whole of the triune God trying to save the sinner. Isn't that wonderful? The triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit involved in our salvation. Christians then are pilgrims. Christians are elect. Christians are sanctified. Christians are sprinkled with the blood. Christians are children. It says there in verse 3, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he's begotten us again. When we become Christians, we become sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Think about that, folks. Remember who you are. You're a son and a daughter of the King. Facing difficulties, that's who you are. Hisham reminded us on MV, I think it was last year, when he left Morocco, the last thing that his dad said to him as he was in the airport was this. Remember whose son you are, as he wished him well, and as he went on the plane to France to go to university. And he reminded us as well that, you know, we've got to remember whose sons and whose daughters we really are. We're sons of the king. We're daughters of the king. Christians are children. We were born in Adam, related to Adam. We're all related to him. And when he sinned, we died. But you know, when we become a Christian, we become related to Christ. And because he lives, we will live. Do you know, it's possible to be a child and not an heir. Heard the story of Cecil Rhodes, the man who, after whom Rhodesia is named. He made a fortune in diamonds. Very loads of them over there in South Africa. And this man made a fortune in diamonds. He died age 49. But in his will, he didn't leave any of his money to his children. They were his children, but they weren't his heirs. Uh, parents amongst us might choose to remind our children of that uh, one, every now and then. But um, God has made us not only his children. That's wonderful, isn't it? If he'd made us his children and nothing else, that would be amazing, really, when you think of what we deserve. But he's actually made us his heirs. And it talks about that in verse uh, 4. We're going to come back to that in a minute. 
And finally, on that first uh, point there, remember who you are. Your children, your heirs, you are kept. Verse 5. You are kept. If you're a Christian, God is committed to keep you to the end. You're kept. That word kept is a military word. But it's not just an earthly army that is keeping you if you're a believer. It's the God of heaven, the Lord of hosts, the triune God who's going to keep you to the very end. The power that causes you to persevere is the power of God himself. That is the power that is keeping the Christian. On Envy this year, we saw a DVD. If you can get hold of it sometime, it's about four stars. It's by a fellow called Louis Guglio. He talks about the sun, 93 million miles away, that flaming orb that gives us our light and our heat, without which life would be impossible. Then he talks about Betelgeuse, that's a star in the constellation of Orion, that's a hundred times bigger than our sun. Then he talks about another star that's bigger than that one and further away. And then he talks about the biggest star in the sky that we know of. And we're talking here, the power that does all the things that we've been thinking about this weekend is the power that made the stars. And that's the power that keeps hold of you if you're a Christian. What's the best illustration of this? I like the illustration of the girl standing by the side of the road. Busy road. Three lanes. Lots of traffic. She's under five. She can't see. And she wants to get across. And she asks, you say, can you take me over? And you say, give me your hand. And you wait until there's a gap in the traffic. And then you walk across the road. Now, if she struggles halfway across, what happens? Answer, you hold tighter. She has put her trust in you. And you will get her across that road because you are committed to do just that. And you know, that's an illustration of us and a commitment to a little girl. Some people wonder, if I became a Christian, would I be able to keep it up? The answer is this, that when you put your hand in God's hands, he then is committed to you and he will see you through death and into heaven. He is going to keep you. Whatever you face, whatever trials come your way, a Christian is kept by the power of God. Is there someone here who thinks, I'd like to become a Christian, but I don't think I could do it. Dear friends, that's a lie from the devil. You can't do it. No one can. But when we trust the Lord, He keeps us. He's promised. You wouldn't let a little girl go out of your hands, would you, and be uh, taken by the traffic? God, once you've trusted in Him as your Saviour, He will keep you. That's the power that keeps you through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter often refers to the second coming in his letter. Do you know what's going to happen at the second coming? The Bible says there'll be a trumpet. There'll be a shout. Jesus Christ will come in person from heaven where he is now to this earth. 
He will come with the spirits of all the church who've died and gone to heaven are with him now. When he comes, all the bodies of all the saints through the ages will be raised. Spirit will meet body in the air with the Lord. If you and I are still around, we'll be seized, caught up to meet him in the air. Our bodies will be changed to be like his body. It will be the most wonderful experience that you've ever had. And the first day, the very first day of the rest of your existence in eternity. Immortal forever with the Lord. And Peter says, you're going to be kept. God who started a work in you is going to keep you. And he's going to keep you for that. And you're going to be there with him in heaven forever. Christians then, when you're facing trials, when you're facing difficulties, remember these things. Remember who you are. Remember where you are going. Let's just focus on heaven for a little bit, shall we, in verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, unfading, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. Incorruptible. What does he mean by that? I don't know if you're, by the way, there might be some people who are sons and daughters of rich people here. You're due to inherit uh, a lot of money or a lot of uh, lands when your parents passes away. But you know, whatever you inherit in this world, it will be done away itself one day. It will. It won't last. But this inheritance that you have in Jesus Christ is eternal. It says there, incorruptible. And that's the same word that's used of God himself. What you get when you become a Christian is incorruptible. It's undefiled. There's many inheritances that have been obtained unjustly. I was joking with Nigel before, with his light tie and his black shirt. I said, have you joined the Mafia? I know he's going to prison, trying to look like some of these fellas, maybe, I don't know. but There's lots of inheritances that are obtained unjustly, but not this one. It's undefiled. It will not fade. Do you know in Olympic Games in those days, you didn't get a gold medal, but you got a wreath, a laurel wreath, a garland of flowers to go on your head. You beat all the other, you went into training, you beat all the other men, and, and so on. You beat all the other competitors, you got a garland of flowers from the emperor. Three weeks later, it's gone. It fades away. But you know, the contrast here, that in the Lord, believers in him, sons and daughters, inherit an incorruptible inheritance, not obtained by unjust means, and it will never fade away. And friends, it's yours. This is how rich you really are. And it's reserved for you. Great to go to weddings, isn't it? I like to go and look on the list and just make sure where my seat is. So that when the bride and the groom come in, you know exactly where you can go. And that seat, if you go into a wedding, is for you. It's reserved for you. No one else can sit there. It's yours. And do you know what, dear friends? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a seat more than a seat. You have a mansion being prepared for you in heaven by Jesus Christ 
himself. That's what he's doing now as well as interceding for you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Everything about heaven is glorious. And the point is this. This inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, it won't fade away. And it's secure for you if you believe in Jesus as your Saviour. If he is your Lord, he's saved you and he's keeping you for that. So the power that keeps you is God's power. And he's keeping you for this wonderful inheritance that he has for you. Remember who you are when you face difficulties. Remember where you are going. And finally, he comes on to the practical part of our talk today. Remember how to live, verses 13 to 16. Paul, Peter comes down to the practical part. You see, as with so many doctrines in the Bible... There's a divine part and there's a human part. And we've got to live to the truths that we've just learned. And he says to them here, Wherefore, he says, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Five things. Firstly, he says, get up the loins of your mind, or get your thinking straight. What was he referring to? Do you know when the Jews first ate the Passover, they had to eat it with their shoes on their feet and their their loins girded because they were ready as pilgrims to leave the world, Egypt, and to go to Canaan. And they had to be ready for that. And in the middle of the, they were ready to go. And Peter says, look, you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready to live the Christian life. Arm yourselves with these truths. You may have difficulties. You may have trials. It's precious for you. It'll do you good. God will bring you through it. You've got to be, get your thinking straight to be able to face these things. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. And that means to watch. To watch. We've got to watch ourselves. We've been thinking today about, yesterday about saying no to sin. We've got to say no to sin. We've got to watch our doctrine that we don't allow wrong ideas to come in and rob us of our reward. We've got to Get up the loins of our mind. We've got to be sober and watch. Hope to the end. We've got to hope continuously. Our great hope is the second coming to earth of the Lord Jesus Christ. C.T. Studd used to say this. We've got to get the world evangelized because we've got to have Christ back at any price. And his motivation to reach out to others was that he might see the Lord Jesus Christ coming back to earth. We've got to be hope, those who hope to the end for the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming to earth. And we've got to be uh, not living according to your former lusts. Can you remember the things that once you did before you were a Christian? With shame, we should not touch those things ever again. 
That was a powerful illustration that Nick shared today, wasn't it? When the prodigal son came back from feeding the pigs, he didn't wash his garments and put them away. He turned away, he had a new robe. We have a new life to live. We turn away from our sin and we don't live according to our former lusts before we were saved. But we live new lives in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to sum all that up is verse 16. Peter says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And this is God speaking in the Old Testament. Peter uses the Old Testament. This is God speaking to his people in the Old Testament. And God speaking to you and to me and saying, Be ye holy, because I am holy. If we are God's children, because he is holy and he's given us his Holy Spirit... We will be holy. Bishop Ryle said this, where there's no holy living, there's no holy spirit. And Paul says, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. If we're believers, we'll be holy. And we are to be holy in order that we might see him one day. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Let's summarise those lessons, shall we, that we've learned. Lessons to learn. Your salvation is certain. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is committed to you and he will see you through. You're going to be kept by the power of God unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. It can't fail because the triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit cooperating together to save those who believe through faith ready to be revealed in the last time your salvation is certain your inheritance is secure no one can take it from you if you're a Christian today you have a place in heaven that's reserved for you you have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled it won't fade it won't perish it won't destroy it won't be destroyed your, salvation, your inheritance is secure. You will face trials on life's journey. You will. Peter wrote so that these Christians would be equipped. Maybe someone this year will face bereavement. Maybe someone will face cancer. Maybe someone will face loss or accident or persecution or ridicule or problems in some shape or form. Peter writes to equip his hearers and his listeners for these things. He says that you'll be in heaviness through many temptations. But know this, he says, the trial of your faith is more precious than gold. Because God, who's in control of all, is using even those trials to make you the person that he wants you to be. Arm yourselves with this mind as the trials come this year. And your salvation is something that uh, the prophets, the angels, desire to look into. Your salvation will have a wonderful conclusion when the Lord Jesus Christ comes at the end of this age. Therefore, he says, your calling is to be holy. We've got to persevere in holiness 
and in truth. Four things to persevere in. We've been reminded of them all this weekend. If we're going to be holy Christians, we've got to be those who read the Holy Bible. Can I echo that challenge of Nick? That you read the Bible consecutively each day of your life? That you read the Bible right the way through? And you make it a, an appointment with the Lord. Job says, Thy word have I desired more than my necessary food. Someone else said, No Bible, no breakfast. If you're going to be holy, you're going to be one who's going to read the word. Persevere in holiness through reading God's word. Persevere in prayer. Wesley challenged us, didn't he? The king of prayer he spoke about last night. Spreading the needs before the Lord. Praying. Are you at the prayer meeting in church? When you go, do you pray? Praying daily. I have a list to help me. To pray for the same things every day, but different things every day. But we need to be those who are disciplined in prayer. Persevering in service. Do you know one of the sad things about this weekend was that our organiser, Dave, for some of the jobs that needed to be done, he had seven refusals. Folks not able, perhaps some for good reason. The Lord knows. And if it was a good reason, I don't mean to make you feel uncomfortable or any way. But perhaps some weren't for such good reasons. The Lord knows. I don't know the people. I don't know the situation. But I know sometimes it is hard to get Christians to serve. Friends, it ought not to be. We're a privileged people to serve. It's a privilege to serve the King of Kings. When you think of what Jesus has done for us, we should be those, you know, who are, as much as we can, doing our, our best for Him. Persevere in your service. Persevere in your evangelism. It's never easy to get to the open air. It's never easy to try and bring someone to the evangelistic event. It's never easy to try and talk to your neighbour about the Lord. It's never easy, but you know, we're to persevere in all of those things. Someone sent me a picture a couple of weeks ago of a beach. It was absolutely packed. I've never seen a beach like it. You couldn't, there was umbrellas everywhere. There was little boats in the sea swimming about. There was Thousands of people on the prom. There was big high rises. It was Shanghai, by the way, but it wasn't in this country. But do you know, it was huge. And you just think of the millions who've never heard of Jesus Christ. And we have an inheritance. We have an eternal hope. We have our sins forgiven. We have the Holy Spirit in our heart. We have the Word of God in our, on our hands. Do you know, dear friends, we need to persevere. In evangelism, get involved in evangelistic endeavour in your church, in young life. If you can get into a wild group, on a speak out at Easter, other times through the year, there's lots of different things going on. Don't just leave it to next year to be involved in evangelistic work. Get involved as soon as you go back. That's tomorrow. Get involved in the work of evangelism, pressing on for the Lord. We're going to be singing in a minute, facing a task unfinished, and that is the the core uh, of, of the gospel, isn't it? The, the world's evangelism is, is unfit. We've scratched the surface on beach missions this year. That's all we've done. There's millions out there who need to hear. 
persevere in holiness through his word, through prayer, through service, through keeping his day holy. Do you know, we keep, as we keep one day a week for him as a holy day, he makes us into holy people. I'm convinced of it, friends. The Bible teaching there that we should, one day in seven, give ourselves to the Lord and the things of his word. Don't just be in church once, be in church twice. And if there's things you can do for the Lord in the afternoon, be on with it, friends. Be persevering in these things. Do you know, in a 1968 Mexico Olympics, there was a marathon held, and Wahim Barry from Ethiopia, during the race, fell, injured his head, bleeding. He wasn't allowed to be helped because if he'd been helped, he would have been disqualified. All the races, all the other athletes finished their race, but the crowd stayed put for this man. And five hours later, he staggered into the arena to do his last lap. He couldn't quite run straight, but he made it round the track. And the crowd gave him a tremendous ovation. He said later, My government did not send me to win, but they did send me to complete. He persevered, and he got the accolade at the end. Do you know, dear friends, we've got to persevere. The power is from the Lord, the responsibility of ours, and the joy of heaven to finish well for our Lord Jesus Christ. To hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant.